Welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council, coming at you from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for tuning into today's show. We're presenting a replay of a conversation that we hosted on May 20th with some of the top commercial real estate executives in the DFW area who have been tracking the state of the industry as businesses continue to reopen across the Metroplex. The conversation was moderated by our chairman, Bill Cauley of Cauley Partners, and featured Jack Fraker of CBRE, Craig Hall of Hall Group, Michael Dardick of Granite Properties, Rand Hallman of Cushman and Wakefield, Frank Mialopoulos of Corinth Properties, Steve Midori of Trammell Crow Residential, and Ray Washburn of Charter Holdings, among many others. This is the second conversation that we've recorded and put out as a podcast, the first one up in early May and is available on your preferred podcasting platform. We've also put videos from both conversations up on our YouTube channel. To find us there, go to youtube.com and search for The Real Estate Council. If you're listening to us for the first time, please make sure you subscribe to the show to get the latest episodes right to your mobile device and follow Trek on social media. And with that, here are Dallas's commercial real estate executives in conversation right here on TrackCast. Hey, and gang, uh, I see okay, that Greg's on. Today and talk and about yes. what's going on in the industrial sector. And I'll start by, you know, hate to look back. But last year was a great year in the uh, U.S. industrial logistics sector. Our company is a pretty good proxy of, of, of the activity in the sector. And, and we closed, from a capital markets perspective, about $25 billion of deals. Unbelievable. And we were doing great uh, through January and February. And in fact, the first quarter ended up with about $7.9 billion in transactions. But most of those transactions were the first couple of months. Of course, everything changed the middle of March. And, uh, and now, uh, you know, our volume is down significantly. The, the most popular asset class for the previous couple of years was the value add sector of industrial, which were opportunities to buy multi-tenant industrial properties and with rent rolls where you had near-term rollover exposure. And as, as we all recall, near-term rollover exposure in 2009 was anything inside of eight years. Uh, and now, you know, 10 years later, you, investors wanted near-term rollover exposure because rents were growing so fast, especially in the smaller tenant, multi, multi-tenant property types. In fact, if we had a, a large single-tenant 10-year lease, for example, uh, Blackstone would not even look at that deal. They didn't want to be locked out of opportunities to mark up rents. So now it's dramatically changed. And the most popular asset classes we have now in the capital markets are absolutely core properties right down the middle of the fairway, preferably with great credit and preferably with uh, long-term leases. So it's, it's changed dramatically in just a few months. What is also happening is uh, Right before our eyes, the fundamentals have gotten even uh, stronger. We went into this uh, crisis with an all-time record low vacancy. All, I think it was nine years in a row of more net absorption than new supply. Uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, bank governance and institutional governance that kept the uh, new supply in check. And there was all sorts of new drivers and uh, reasons for companies to lease warehouse space such as e-commerce 
So our, our market fundamentals were great, which is really good for us that we were so healthy going into this crisis. Uh, you know, right now there's still a tremendous amount of e-commerce activity. Supposedly, uh, Amazon has about 70 million, 70 million square feet of requirements underway in the United States. And, you know, they're the best uh, proxy for online shopping, as we all know, but others, Walmart and the rest of them, are, are still doing great from that perspective as well. I think Walmart's uh, uh, grocery delivery business increased 70%. So the, um, the, the sector's got these strong fundamentals behind it. I'm working from my home office looking out my window, and I see an Amazon Prime truck drive by every 30 minutes. It really is happening. Our company had expected that online sales as a percentage of retail sales was on pace to grow 14% per year. But now we changed our estimates and we're, that number is now 20% per year of growth uh, in online shopping. And if you extrapolate that math, uh, that growth, uh, it's it's going to equate to an additional 500 million square feet of tenant demand over the next five years or so from online growth. That's that's growth in addition to what was already in the forecast. The other thing that's happening is that uh, everybody's uh, every major occupier supply chain was perfectly efficient, and uh, this disruption and the interruption of the supply chain changed all of that. I mean, a good case in point is, you know, toilet paper. You know, Kimberly Clark probably had it perfectly figured out to only have just the right amount of toilet paper in their warehouses. And when you had this hoarding take place on that item, that interrupted the uh, supply chain. So perfectly efficient supply chains and what that means to the warehouse uh, occupier has changed because of this uh, crisis. And uh, Hamid Mogadam, who's the CEO of Prologis and a much better spokesman on this than me, uh, he calls it, uh, the, he says that the sector now is going to be more focused on resiliency versus efficiency. And resiliency means that most companies do not want to have an interruption in their supply chain and may dial in an additional 5% of safety stock in their warehouse requirements. And so, if you again, if you extrapolate that 5% growth, I'm sorry, 5% safety stock, that will equal uh, 750 million square feet of additional warehouse demand over the next five or six years. So, if you take the online and then you take the uh, safety stock, add those up, and even if you just divide that number in half, it's still a dramatic uh, increase in our sector. Uh, and right right now, there's also the onshoring and nearshoring concept, and has not you know immediately shown up in the U.S. statistics. It is happening with uh, our industrial leasing brokers in the northern states of uh, Mexico are are getting an awful lot of uh, RFPs from overseas companies that are looking to put their distribution centers and manufacturing centers in Mexico to be closer to the United States. So anyway. Those are, th those are three positive things about the fundamentals. From a, from a capital markets perspective, as I said at the beginning, we had a great year last year. Our volume's gonna be down this year. Uh, some major global investors, which dramatically uh, changed the landscape the past few years, such as the Canadians, uh, that, that investor profile is probably on hold near term. 
if you think about some of those different companies, Ivanhoe Cambridge, they're the largest owner of malls in Canada. Uh, Oxford, which is Ontario Municipal Employees Retirement System, they're the equity behind uh, Hudson Yards, a multi-billion dollar investment there anchored around Neiman Marcus. So Oxford, which had dramatic plans for industrial real estate growth, has put those plans temporarily on hold. Uh, CPPIB, Canadian Pension Plan Investment Board, they're the, they own over 50% of Neiman Marcus. So they're kind of distracted by that, those kind of situations. So, and then AIMCO, which is a big Canadian investor out of Alberta, Alberta's leading commodity is oil and gas. So they're distracted. So this big universe of investors that was driving the capital markets in the previous years are, are on hold temporarily. They still want to get back in the sector, but they're on hold temporarily. And then, you know, a, uh, Asian investors are coming back. And I've had several Zoom calls uh, with uh, groups in Singapore recently. Maple Tree in particular wants to get back into the uh, U.S. and European logistics sectors. The investors from the Mideast, uh, Abu Dhabi Investment Authority, for example, they were very active in 2015-16, but they're on hold as well, distracted probably by the price of oil. Uh, in the meantime, our domestic investors are still active, but as I said, most of the volume was in the uh, value-add light industrial sector, and that's just momentarily on hold. We expect um, a dramatic uh, increase in volume in the, in the third and fourth quarter and in, in the first quarter of 21. And we are still transacting deals. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing deals that uh, we're doing an awful lot of these Amazon.com build a suits. And some of those build a suits or the latest Amazon prototype, the tilt wall panels are a hundred foot tall tilt wall panels. They're taller than Bill Colley's uh, office buildings, you know, on the tollway. It's unbelievable. These tilt wall panels are so big that they have to have a special crane to lift them, lift them up. And those buildings inside have four levels. And we're selling a couple of those buildings. And the footprint of those buildings might be uh, 850,000 square feet. But if you add up the usable square feet of all the levels inside of the building, they end up being 3.9 million square foot. Uh, usable square square feet. Amazon has about 13 or 14 of those planned across the United States. So that, that's the biggest uh, driver in our sectors is Amazon and e-commerce in, in general. And our capital markets are will make a comeback. Uh, right now, I mean, we love really big deals and we've had some giant uh, portfolio sales over the years. Last year, or even January this year, we closed about a $5 billion, $4.9 billion deal. But as of the moment, the big portfolios are a little bit out of favor with these big institutional investors. I don't think anyone wants to go into the investment committee with enough conviction to make a big bet like that. So we're seeing most of our activity in the smaller, more traditional industrial deals, 30 to $80 million deals. All right. I guess we just move on from Jack since he can't hear. Craig, can you give us a quick, Mike, I'm going to put you, I saw Craig was on. Craig, could you give us a quick update on hotels, what you're seeing, what's going on there? Sure. Uh, hotels are uh, arguably the worst asset class, uh, along with uh, uh, retail, I suppose. Um, generally, uh, occupancies uh, for open hotels in Dallas are 15% or less. I think we were 14%. Uh, 
the uh, amount of money that you lose open or closed is significant uh, because there there are just a lot of fixed costs uh, it's not all a variable cost uh, it is an operating as well as real estate so it, it, it adds to the pressure uh, the negative NOI uh, before debt service in most hotels across the United States is huge uh, business hotels downtown hotels are probably uh, not recovering much into 2022 I, I'm maybe a pretty pessimistic uh, view we have, um, in addition to Hotel in the Arts District that we opened, was doing very, very well before the uh, COVID-19. We have uh, 28 construction loans of hotels that are across the country, two of which we've gotten back. Um, resort areas are the worst hit, uh, kind of equaled with uh, large group hotels. Um, but all hotels are losing a lot of money. Um, and we had a hotel that somebody just finished, opened December, 2018. They handed us the keys back after losing $2 million between December 18 and uh, April of this year. Uh, and they had uh, 17 million they, uh, in the hotel to build it. Uh, they owed us 23 million. So they walked, they walked up from that much money. Wow. Yeah, the good news for us is we made most of our loans are about 65% loan to cost. Uh, but the bad news is is probably uh, values are down by, on average, maybe 30%. It varies by type of hotel. And I don't, again, I think it's going to be, until there's a vaccine, uh, I think it's going to be a very, very tough, slow road back. Um, I'm glad you didn't ask me, Bill, about uh, high-end uh, luxury condominiums being built in, in the arts district. You, you, you spared me one. Maybe you could do that next week. Two weeks. Next, yeah, next we'll do it. Two, hey, two, two Craig, let me ask you this. About that. When you take a hotel back like that, do you then operate it or do you, do you just close it until it's, it, it can... I mean, what do you do? Uh, each each uh, situation will um, vary. Uh, if... In, in the case of uh, one that we just got back that I described, uh, we're, we're going to keep it open. It's ironically, uh, it's a dual flagged hotel and part of it has a pretty good occupancy from some essential workers, uh, uh, a government uh, contract. If that, as long as that stays, it's worth staying open, but marginal, very marginal. Um, we, we plan to take anything that we get back and uh, not, uh, sell it one of our guys here pushed me to try to market a half finished hotel that we got back to my surprise we got a lot of interest we may so we may sell one but in general our plan is to uh try to hold for five years six years and uh we hope you know we're working with borrowers we hope we'll only end up with about five to ten but my guess is we'll end up with 10 hotels out of 28. And, and Craig, on the one you marketed for sale that was partially completed, were, I mean, was the activity at a basis that made sense to sell, I would assume, right? Well, it, it's it's another sad story. So the, the borrower has $45 million in it. We have, as the lender, $32. Uh, and we're basically saying, and there's call it, call it 30-something to finish. So if somebody comes and says, We'll put up the 30 to finish. Uh, we'll, we'll pay you your 30 out. 
and then we'll loan them back to the 30 the same money to finish. Got so, it. So they're, you know, 50% loan. We'll, we'll re-up for, for, for new money. Um, yeah, there's actually uh, buyers out there that are interested in that. Awesome. But that's, somebody lost $45 million before that happens. So that's, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. A good story. Anybody have any questions of Craig? He has to go here in a minute. Nice seeing everyone. I appreciate it, Craig, very much. Pleasure. Okay, there's going to be a huge drop off from Craig to Dardic, but we'll just have to get. <laughs> oh, I'm going to wait for Dardic. I, I, I got <laughs> well, actually, I want to. I want to thank Craig for jumping in. I really prefer to follow hotel versus industrial. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's true. Um, okay, uh, I'm going to start with just return to work. Um, I will tell you, generally, right now in our office building. Into thirty percent occupancy. So that's the southern U.S. California, which still has shelter in place. Uh, the exception is Houston, which is fifty percent. Which is kind of odd. Uh, I don't have a, a direct answer why that is. Other than I will say, we've definitely seen smaller local companies come back to the office much quicker than large companies. The other thing we've seen is that companies that have a headquarter on the northeast or the west more conservative about going back to the office with their local offices than local and i'm sure that's because of their negative experience around the health side of the pandemic um, the customer surveys they're basically telling us that they think occupancies will increase about five percent per week so if you think about that that means it's going to take the labor day or later to kind of get to building Operationally, we're like everybody, we're focused on a safe, healthy return to the office, dealing with air quality and new cleaning protocols and movement, social distancing. Um, I know anybody in the office building has been an amazing amount of work tactically to shut buildings down, if you will, and figure out how to communicate with customers remotely. And then, you know, 45 days later, open them back up and figure out how to get them back in safely. So all of our operating teams have been uh, working through a new playbook real quick. Anyway, on the leasing side, on the renewals, they're happening. It's a mix of the normal long-term and then uh, several people asking for kind of short-term uh, one year. Um, I think generally leasing, the message is if a customer doesn't have to make a decision, then they don't want to. Um, on the new investment front, uh, very little trading other than public securities, debt and equity, a lot of activity in debt and equity securities. Um, I think ultimately we need liquidity problems to get price discovery, to get the market going again. And frankly, I think that's going to happen more like fall. Uh, it's not going to happen immediately. We need to see more of the business failures and occupancy and rent and, and lender borrower problems. A um, couple possible future themes. Um, a little bit of a duh is healthy buildings. Uh, this pandemic has clearly accelerating the growing chorus that was around wellness and well buildings. Uh, I will say, you know, the simple comments around air quality and touchless path and indoor outdoor requires really huge capital investment. And it's our view that the healthy building is going to be, you know, kind of another criteria for a class A building, a la a lead. And I know there's some certifications out there and maybe that'll be the path, but I think uh, the idea of a class A building will include a healthy building. Um, uh, another interesting possible theme is how customers are gonna adjust their real estate portfolios. Uh, 
uh, look, we've been talking about the cross currents between, you know, remote working and how that uh, hurts uh, absorption versus reconfiguring or de-densifying space to accommodate social distancing, which obviously helps absorption. Uh, nobody knows how that plays out. Uh, both of those are real to some level. I think it's going to be, uh, companies are all going to try to figure out how do they balance the uh, need to have culture and collaboration and socialization, which means we're all together. And, and everybody would suggest that is a value add activity versus kind of this distributed workforce flexibility, which could help on the cost side and could be an employee benefit uh, when you think about commute times. And um, some of the discussion that's been evolving, which I think is probably healthy, is the idea of a distributed network of offices, a hub and spoke. And if you think about it, um, trying to balance culture collaboration versus flexibility, it may be that people have kind of their main office where people spend some or majority of their time. And then they put these smaller satellite offices in the two or three locations where the majority of the college educated knowledge worker lives. And in, in that regard, they're, they're not working at the main office, they're not working at home, but they're close to home and they could be around other uh, employees to create the culture and the collaboration. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I don't think any of us knows it's way too early. I would say whenever you head into a downturn, uh, the CFO and cost generally seems to gain more steam uh, than the head of HR and, and employees. So it'll be interesting to watch that battle. Um, the last thing I would tell you, and this one I, is for sure, uh, we have a less of an opinion about, but the potential geographic shifts. It's just gonna be interesting to watch where will jobs go uh, as you come out of a downturn. I think short-term car markets or Southern markets are gonna win over mass transit markets or Northeast, West Coast dense cities. I can't imagine anything worse than standing six inches from somebody else's face on a subway, driving to, you know, going to the office. So I think if you're having to make a decision the next six to 12, 18 months, hard to believe you're going to pick a mass transit market because your employees don't feel safe and aren't interested in even just getting to the office. Forget the density in the offices. Um, you know, longer term, I think it's going to be interesting to see if you, I, I definitely believe there will be a, a partially remote work strategy that evolves out of this. I don't think it's gonna be everything, but it will emerge. Um, and if it does, you could argue that it might benefit smaller livable cities that had already been emerging. Uh, because, you know, as I would say, you know, if you, if you thought in Dallas you needed an office in, you know, Plano and Park Cities, why couldn't it be Plano and Park Cities, Utah, right? If you believed in this remote working idea. So I'll stop there and take any questions. Mike, have you seen anybody reconfigure their space, spread people out yet, other than just on a temporary basis? Well, you and I talked about it. I think right now in the short term, people are taking chairs out of conference rooms. They're putting tape over every other, you know, cubicle, and they're doing kind of the, the low-cost social distancing. It, it's really easy right now. I mean, we actually went back to the office Monday at 25%, and frankly, the lack of people in there solves the social distancing anyway. Uh, I think when we'll see more of that, Bill, is like I said, if this 5% per week growing density happens, by Labor Day will be more full and then people are going to have to really think about it. But, you know, there, it's, it's gonna be, it takes money and it takes time. Right. I will say I have heard of, I've heard of large corporations 
that were building buildings that have already gone back and are changing their densities before they move in. Yeah. Changing, well, changing furniture buys. Rand, I see you, Rand, you're on. Are you guys, re do you have many big companies restacking or, or, or spreading people out, spending the money to do it now? It's still early, but yeah, we're seeing folks, as just mentioned, you know, that are, haven't taken occupancy that are relooking at it. Uh -huh. And we're reshuffling our deck. Uh, we, don't, we don't open probably until early June. Um, but yeah, we're, see, we're seeing some of that and we're going to see a lot more of it. By the way, one other thing I would mention is clearly this is being driven right now by the, the required social distancing. But I, I would argue that, you know, the human animal has been squeezed into lower and lower space per square foot for the last 20 years. And frankly, it probably got to a place that it didn't really work very healthy, just kind right. of directly, not like pandemic health. And so a little bit of this pushback is going to stick. It may not be six foot distancing, but a little bit of it I think is going to stick. You, ran? Yeah, I think that's right. You know, when we took our space, we 12 inch glass panels above the cubes and, and corporate gave us grief about it. And that's looking pretty smart right now. But uh, I do agree, um, the, you know, 2019 was probably our apex of density and we'll pull back a little bit. And I think it's a good thing. By, by the way, one other thing I didn't talk about, Bill, is I, I, look, I'm a big believer in the human as a social animal. For thousands of years, we've been around a fireplace and nothing's changed about weathering. So I do think when there's a vaccine and when there's a healthy environment, um, I think the idea of amenities and community will come back. I, I don't think people don't want to be around each other. They just need to be able to feel safe. I, I mean, if you go look at the beaches in Florida that open up, everybody's back out there like nothing happened. It's, I mean, I'm one that thinks, I, I agree with you. I think we kind of go back. You know, this work at home thing, I know it's just like Fraker couldn't hear us. But the thing that kind of frustrates me about working remotely is we are, I mean, how many calls it takes to connect to the person you want, where if you're in a collaborative environment, you can walk out and talk to that person and move on. I mean, and when you get to be my age, you forget what you were going to go talk to them about. If you got two or three phone calls, they call you back and you don't even know what you're going to call them about. It's frustrating. Well, um, look, I, I think you know, we're evolving to a different world. Technology has advanced where you can do this kind of call you never used to be able to do. So there, there's gonna be some movement, but I, I think the vast amount of companies recognize that really high value stuff happens from humans interacting. And oftentimes that's not planned, it's serendipitous, it's that uh, bump in conversation, it's a, it's a thought that was planted or it's the, you know, on video, you're just not going on and on on a conversation, whereas face-to-face, -face, there's a different interaction. So I, I think every company knows that. It's just how do they balance that versus uh, the potential benefits of some remote work. Yeah. Look, like, I have this need to keep moving forward, you know, feel like I'm making progress. And I don't know how you get that feeling when you're isolated at home, if you're not a part of a team and you're communicating. You know, you might have information that you need, but having everybody moving forward is kind of, it's, it's driving me crazy. I mean, um, the, I feel the, like I'm running 20, 100 miles an hour and everybody else is going about 25 in my, in my organization. 
the other thing I, I didn't mention about the, the possibility of this hub and spoke where instead of people working from home, they're working near home, but it's a corporate space is look, cybersecurity is only going to get bigger and bigger. And so I, I could see companies being concerned about everybody being on their own, you know, internet provider at home versus being close to home and being in a controlled network. Right. You know, the, one thing, hey, Billy, uh, one thing, you know, in terms of, you know, I think there, there are team sports and I think there are individual sports and that kind of plays out in business too. And so the individual sports, I think those folks are probably more likely to work from home, but businesses like, you know, brokerage, which are clearly team sports and they're filled with folks that aspire to that. It, you know, when you're not getting that interaction, it's almost like you're not getting your batteries charged. There's, there's something valuable about just the collaboration beyond just the net of it, right? And, right. And, and working from home works when everybody's working from home. But once, you know, the 5% that Mike's talking about, and we're, we're kind of divided, I, I just, you know, I find myself for, for, for no real reason other than just knowing I can, really looking forward to getting back uh, and interacting and teaming and all the things you're mentioning, Bill. It's, it's, it's beyond just... Uh, just business it's 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 enjoying what you do you get up in the morning walking over to your office for eight to ten hours it's just a grind and um, so hey Rand, yeah. Rand, I agree with that and I would tell you one of the things companies are, are going to struggle with and have to figure out is let's just say for sake of argument X percent of people stay home all the time although I think that'll be small in companies okay. and then X percent are at the office how do you not have two classes of citizens? Because yeah. we've, we've literally talked about it. And if there's, if there's five people that you would normally include and one's at home, it's going to be the hard for the four that are just uh, serendipitously jumping into a conference room to think about, Oh, let's call Tommy or Sally at home and make sure that they're part of this. So it's, it's going to require a lot of change. It's gonna require yeah. I agree. You know, the one thing I like about this Zoom technology is it keeps guys like Swope at his ranch, and I can be in Dallas stirring stuff up while he's at his ranch thinking he's connected. <laughs> Are you going to get off a mute and, mute and comment or no? Hey, buddy, if you'll check those, uh, check those lights above me, I'm at the office. <laughs> <laughs> okay, any other questions of Dardic? Well done, Mike. I really appreciate it. Good information. Steve, are you there? Yeah, can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. Great deal. Um, well, I'm going to give a quick uh, multifamily update. You guys feel free to interrupt um, whenever you like. But, uh, you know, TCR, we've got you know, 8,500 units under construction, um, about another 11,000 um, that are stabilized and in operation. So, you know, this pandemics kind of hit us on both sides from an operation and construction standpoint. Um, you know, big picture, you know, I would tell you that, you know, this recession is different than 2008, 2009. Uh, most people in the room probably understand that. Um, but from a housing perspective, in 2008, there was a million and a half excess housing units in the market, and then the world fell apart. Now, this go around, we've been under supplying housing for about 150, 200,000 units a year since 2012. And so housing is in a much better, it's in much better shape than it was in 2008, 2009. For that reason, we think that, you know, this recession from a housing perspective is going to be a pretty shallow trough. 
Um, yes, we are, there is going to be pain. Yes, we are going to get hurt. Yes, there's going to be ODLs. There's going to be some distress, but it's, it's not going to look like 2008, 2009, in our opinion. Um, most forecasters are predicting that rents in 2022, early 2023 will equal 2019. So that's kind of the bounce back um, from a forecast perspective. Um, but it's pretty, pretty quick. I mean, supply is going to drop by about 50% over the next two years too. So, um, you know, we're, we're actually pretty bullish as to what new developments will look like, you know, starting six to nine months from now, cause it takes us 36 months from the time we identify a site to finish a job. Um, operationally, uh, you know, traffic is obviously materially down. It's down about 50%, but our closing ratios have been really strong. I mean, if somebody is searching for your site on site, uh, searching for your site on the internet right now, they're interested in leasing. I mean, our closing ratio is like 80% for people that are actually looking for apartments. Um, that being said, you know, leasing is down about 30% uh, year over year. Um, we've seen renewals have been higher. So the people that are actually living in the apartments, they're now, they're not typically out hunting for new deals. Um, they're just re-upping for a little bit more concession. Uh, but what we have seen is that, you know, with people losing, uh, these, you know, the unemployment rolling in, you know, we are losing, we are net net losing people. So our available to rent ratio, ATR, I can explain that if we need to, but um, that's been increasing. You want to keep that around 10% and it's probably trending up to 12% of our stabilized assets. Um, so we're going to have to get more aggressive to keep people in, um, in our apartments. Uh, collections, you know, the industry was really worried about are people going to just not pay rent in April and May? Uh, you know, there was hashtags all over the place on Twitter, cancel rent, boycott rent. Um, April, we collected 96.5%. May, we collected 97%. In January, we collected 98.5%. So it was not a material impact thus far. Uh, I think the next big test is August. You look out to when the stimulus checks stop rolling in to individuals. Um, you know, we'll see how much of that doesn't come to owners. Um, at that point in time. Um, and so that, that's the next kind of bogey we've got um, out in the future that we're looking towards. Uh, construction, uh, the only market that we were materially impacted was Seattle. Um, you know, the state of Washington shut down all, really all construction, even public work projects for 45 days. Um, we didn't have many COVID cases where we did stay uh, in operation six to seven nationally. And you know, when we had those, we shut down the site for basically 24 hours, cleaned it, and then kept it vacant for another 24 hours and then rebooted the job. And so net-net, it was a 48-hour kind of shutdown. Going forward, I think we're not going to do that. We'll shut it down for two to three hours, identify where that worker was, clean that area meticulously, and then reopen the site. And that's, that's generally how our subs want to react as well. Um, you know, I think for the last two years, you know, we've been preparing for something. I'm sure everybody knew that we were kind of long in the tooth. Uh, we didn't know what it was going to be, but, you know, we started pushing on our debt two years ago. Uh, I don't think there's going to be as much distress as some market pundits think in this space. Um, there will be some, but I think it's, it's going to be few and far between. I think values are going to stay higher than most people believe, too. There's so much capital that's out there just kind of looking for distress that's going to prop up values. Um, I will tell you capital, I don't know how much capital is on this call, um, 
but from our perspective, it's been pretty skittish thus far. I mean, everybody's kind of taken a wait and see approach. Uh, we don't think we'll get much clarity from, from equity for 60 to 90 days. We haven't had many guys kind of pull out of deals. There's kind of one deal in Denver where one of our partners just kind of backed away from a closing that was scheduled to occur within 30 days. Um, but, you know, we think we'll have uh, a couple of offers to backfill them just with, you know, partners that we've done a lot of business with over the years. Um, from a forecast perspective, you know, how people are looking at new deals, what we're hearing and how we're kind of looking at it. We think anything you start between now and you know, six to nine months from now, your buyouts ought to be 10% cheaper than they were pre-COVID uh, on a hard cost perspective. We do think land's going to come in. You know, they're usually the last ones to get the memo, um, but they'll probably come in five to 15%. Um, you know, if rents equal 2000, you know, 2022 equal 2019, you know, your, your yields, unlevered yields are going to be up 40 to 50 bips on cost. So, you know, it's a, I'm a developer, so I am glass half full, but you know, that's a story we're telling for forecast. I'll stop there. I mean, I could, I could get into sales. There's not much happening. I think spot sales rates or values are probably down five to 10%. If you had to sell something, um, but I'll stop there and take any questions. Uh, I've got one. I, when people are renewing, are they asking for more short-term leases? And what are any, like, are B and C, uh, and I know you're not in that business, but are, are B and C units getting hit harder, or is there an asset class that's getting hurt the most? Yeah, no, both, both good questions. Yes, on renewals, especially kind of higher-end Class A deals, uh, they're looking for shorter-term leases, not one to commit to 5000 a month for for 18 months like they were doing kind of pre-COVID. And so we're actually seeing that at our high-rise in Dallas to where they're wanting you know, less than 12-month renewal terms. Um, about 50% of the people coming in are asking for that. And then Graystar sent a report. They typically do this around the, it was last week, you know, second, second week of each month where they break down collections by class. Class A is clearly the strongest. It's where most of the income is, so most people can afford to pay, and they're weathering the storm of unemployment a little bit stronger. B and C is getting crushed. C is getting killed. I mean, they were in the 70% range on collections. Uh, B's are in the upper 80s and A's are in the mid 90s. Wow. Hey, hey, Steve, I have a question and this is kind of related. Um, as you think about going forward, are you more interested in the high rise urban high cost or the wrap product that may be, you know, tier one adjacent or suburban? Yeah, so most of what we've done, we've done kind of all of it, but I would say 85% of what we've done has been kind of the wrap podium or suburban product. We've always kind of leaned that way. Um, but just like you were saying relative to how those markets with the car will probably outperform those that are based on transit, that, that leads more to the wrap podium garden product execution. Uh, you know, we're actually chasing a site now in Frisco. Steve Brown reported it surprise. Um, but you know, it's going to be, you know, garden product Frisco. That'll be the first deal we buy first piece of dirt we buy kind of post COVID. Steve, let me join in. Um, this is Lucy on the residents being there all the time now. Um, and moving forward, people working from home, however, it happens a little bit more. Are you changing what you're building and, or, or how you're thinking about the spaces? 
great question. Uh, we actually had a meeting on that two weeks ago internally. Um, I'll tell you our secrets. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Of course. Uh, we are looking at doing uh, more two bedrooms. Uh, we do think people will want that extra room to turn it into a study. Um, we're looking at doing Zoom rooms, um, kind of as an amenity uh, within our complexes. And then we're probably increasing our co-working space at least by 50%, maybe. We already had a significant amount of co-working space within our buildings for amenities, but increasing that at least 50%. I mean, that's some low-hanging fruit. Um, you know, there will be some changes, we think, from, you know, an MEP perspective, HVAC perspective, filter perspective, that, you know, each individual unit has their own AC, but they do share um, HVAC in kind of common areas. And so uh, we do think there will be improvements kind of along that space that gets integrated into our product. One bedrooms with studies, too. That's another. Right. We'll do a couple yeah, stacks of those. Moving away from the tiny unit. Exactly right. Yeah. Any other questions of Steve? Steve, I appreciate it very much. Thank you. That's you bet, very man. good information. You bet. Okay, we got 10 minutes. Does anybody have an issue they want to ask the group or anything they want to? There's a lot of talent on this call. Hey, if you Bill. Wanna... Hey, yeah. Bill. Can yeah. you all hear me? This is Frank from Hillopolis. You and I have been talking about somewhat what's going on in the retail world and the right. mall world. Yeah. You guys want a quick update there? Let's hear it. Um, for, just real quick, a comment though on everybody's discussion on office, but we're finding working off remotely, there's no creativity. So to your point about going forward, we're not creating new jobs. I mean, new projects we're maintaining. So part of it is that. And then the other part is we're having a split personality. We're seeing that now with the major healthcare unit that, they're going to move a lot of the things off-site that are basically people that are just pushing items like they did offshore to India or whatever. But things that need contact will be at the office. But things they're finding out that they, you know, they're just processors. They could be off-site on some of the things. So that's going to be limited. So we're seeing that happening on a 224, 300,000 square foot lease where we're going with the healthcare system. Anyway, on the mall side of the world, you know, in the history, being the Greek philosopher, we've always had marketplaces of what our shopping experiences from the ancient times, and that's going to continue. What it's going to be in the future, who knows? The word that I've heard from some of my mall friends is uncertainty. Uncertainty. Is the mall going to be around in 10 years? Is it? What kind of mall will it be? And so that's kind of a re-evolution of where we're going. You know, I'm a, I always say evolution, not revolution, but this has been revolution and for those who've been watching a lot of Netflix we've had the the movie they've been watching series House of Fire so the house is on fire and the department stores and retail they came with with the water hoses but instead of putting water in the water hoses they put COVID fuel and it's basically uh, made a as you could see the last couple of weeks the bankruptcies that are going on in the retail it just uh, amplified what was happening and it's brought it, it brought it to a quicker death um and 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 i don't know it's not gonna be a complete death because there's opportunities every time there's some door opens another one no one one door closes another one open but we're seeing the malls are reopening uh in, and we've had one in georgia and some other places it's a small uh trickling in it started slower the weekends picked up you're seeing more traffic 
what's really been interesting is the major mall owners have went dark the first 45 days. They didn't talk to their tenants. They didn't, the Simons of the world, the DGPs, Matrix, they kind of stay, they just kind of waited to see because of the uncertainty. They weren't sure what to do. Today, the words we use are, you know, deferment versus abatement, forbearance, amending to the leeches. So we're going in, we collected overall 44% of the rents in May, pretty much 44. a little bit above 45, 44, 45 overall in retail compared to April was pretty close. Uh, it's it's across the board in categories from your banks, grocery stores, where it's 98, 99% to zero from the fitness uh, category or 10%. Um, what really has been character, uh, uh, opening up the character of these retailers and companies is those that are by, owned by private equity. I'll use an example, Sycamore Partners. It owns uh, a several retail concepts like Staples and Bells. They, you, they decided in March not to pay rents on their stores, a thousand stores of Staples owns, and, not, and all of them, most of them were open. And they just say, we're not, we need 90 day, 90 day abatement of rent. And same way it's happening with Inspire brands and some of these brands that don't even talk to you. So we're seeing across the board, what we talked about case by case, some retailers we've been able to go in and modify our leases, get an extension on one lease, we're getting a six year extension, removing a termination clause, giving them 90 days deferment of rent and having it paid next year. But we're going to be the big, bigger beneficiary because I've got term now. Um, the opportunities we see in these closed malls and projects are, you know, the healthcare, which we've been doing. Uh, project in Nashville, uh, Vanderbilt is still open. They have clinics that are not tied to the hospital. So they've been very fortunate to have customers come in uh, with, uh, with the safety concerns, but they're open and paying rent. You're seeing uh, Amazon looking at the JCPenney stores. That's the perfect last mile situation where they have 90, 100,000, 200,000 square foot facilities with docks. So they're going to, I think that's going to fulfill a lot of the last mile into the neighborhoods. Uh, IKEA is looking to come in with their Inca, Inca centers, which is their hybrid uh, IKEA malls that they bought, existing centers. So, you know, these close, good location, it all depends on location. We're going to change the world. Uh, we're working. On a couple grocery deals right now. Uh, getting in finance is a different world, and I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, one of the things that we've always seen, if you look at the dips that we've had from uh, the 80s to the, to, to, uh, to the Great Recession and all, is the home goods operations get better. To your point about building two bedrooms and apartments, Steve, they need more furnishings. You see companies that almost were broke that came back. Unfortunately, the Pier 1 didn't survive, but if, if they had survived, you've seen them do their uptake right after a recession. And so it'll be interesting if that continues. Bed Bath & Beyond is, uh, one of my friends at Retail Connector will tell you had their biggest run after, you know, the, the 07, 08 breakdown. Uh, we'll have half of the department stores in 2021. You see it right now, there'll be half. And so it just depends on what locations. Uh, in smaller markets where they're the main thing, like Zitterge and talking with them, you know, they're opening their stores, they're seeing traffic up. It's really across the board. They've had some stores doing better sales and other stores doing 25% of their sales. So it's really across the board. Um, okay. And on location and what people, so anyway, I'll end it with, it's all that, about the consumer and what the consumer feels yeah. and the yeah. consumer attitude. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Hey, Steve, I see Steve and Alan on. Do you have any comment on retail? What you seeing, anything changing? Yeah, I mean, from our perspective, I think, you know, Frank's on the money when it comes to collections. Um, 
you know, we're looking at around 50% collected for our properties in, uh, in April and about the same in May so far. Uh, and that varies depending on the type of property. You know, on the rent deferral, I, I think creativity has been sort of the buzzword. You know, I'm seeing tenants that are willing to give a multiple of term. So if you give them three months rent deferral, they're willing to add six months or even nine months to the, uh, to the end of the lease if it's a tenant that you believe in. Uh, we're seeing a little bit of abatement, but not much. Um, on the tenant side, mainly it is, you know, deferment for a period of time, generally paid back over 2021. And, um, and we're seeing, you know, for those retailers that are starting to reopen, uh, we're getting, I mean, we're hearing back some, some decent sales coming out of stores that have limited, uh, you know, limited space and capacity. Uh, and it, it sounds fairly encouraging. Now that may be because the public's clamoring to get out and this may be sort of a holiday type mentality, but, uh, but so far the, the, the sales reports have been, have been, uh, decent. Yeah, it feels to me like people are getting out. I mean, my wife and I have been taking walks uh, at late afternoon and like, um, it just seems like people want to go back to normal. I mean, and I, I'm not one that is uh, living scared. I think you have to live smart, but I, I sure hope we go back to normal. This is driving me nuts. <laughs> yeah. Any other quick statistic? Yeah, one quick statistic that is facts from credit card charges that J.P. Morgan put out yesterday. In March, the overall credit card charges were down 40%. In May, it was down 20%. Cards, when you're present, were down 60% in March and only 40% in May. E-commerce was, was up 70%. So there's a shift in, of course, how we're buying, but the apparel industry is almost dead. It was 90, off 90%, and overall sales were down 16 But to your point, May, the sunshine's coming out. People are, you know, out and about, and you can see it even in the, exact, in the spending numbers. Awesome. Well, hey, Frank. Yeah. Frank, quick question for yeah. you. This is Steve. Um, is there any research reports on local restaurants? I mean, that's just the part that just tears on my heart. All these local restaurants that are privately owned that, you know, aren't franchised, that, you know, they're kind of invest living paycheck to paycheck, month to month, and you just got to believe that half of those just don't make it six months from now. Well, it's, it's harder to get, but you got the PABC reports and the state sales tax reporting. Yeah. Um, but to, to, but that's kind of old. I mean, by the time you get that news, they might be closed. Um, I don't know if Alan and Steve might have a better tracking method, but we're, I've been involved with, with the Dallas City Council and the real estate regional chamber, and they're focusing on helping these small businesses. And they know, you know, there's more firsthand. And this is where Trex Foundation and some of the funding needs to step up to keep these businesses open. We're, we're, we're seeing a split level of the bigger, our, we're all safe and we're very blessed to be on this call and we're going to be fine. It's those small businesses across the, the restaurants and retailers and small operators are going to be suffering and they're going to fall much more quicker than any of us think of. But you're right, Steve. But I, I mean, I, I think we're going to see some of those numbers, but it might be late. Yeah, I, I think it's probably a little early. We're keeping a restaurant tracker, but, you know, those restaurants are, are still using their PPP money to pay their people. They're trying to perfect 
the uh, the takeout business and, and seeing some success. But I think, you know, we're thinking there will be, you know, it could be 30, 35% of the restaurants that ultimately won't make it. And that, and that is sad um, unless they get some additional kind of, uh, of uh, stimulus um, help. But we're tracking that almost on a daily basis. Um, historically, one in five restaurants closed within a couple of years of opening, and, and now it's going to be like, Alan said about a third, close to a third of the restaurants you we might lose. Okay, um, we're up against the end of the hour. Um, hey, Ray, Ray just said, Ray Washburn, do you want to say something? Ray just sent me a text saying he wanted to say something. Tell him to star six to unmute. Ray, are you there? Yeah. Hey, Bill, can you hear me? Yeah. Fire away. No, I'm unmuted. All right. All right. Hey, I, I'll give you a quick restaurant update because yeah, I heard you guys talking about it, but I'm on conversations every day with my restaurant guys. You would be shocked how many of these guys are not going to reopen. Um, and some pretty well, I'm not going to say names on the phone, but they're well-known names that we all go to that just can't come back. And the, the, what everyone is doing on this PPP money in our business, if you have them as tenants, is to encourage them to pay their rent in March and April to burn through that PPP money. And if you're going to give them a deferral, do it at the end of the year because we have to get back this PPP money at the end of July. Right. And if you – so you want to burn it as much as you can now and then get the relief on the other side of this. So that's one thing that uh, – if you haven't been, if people haven't thought through that, that is an important thing to do. The second thing is on restaurants and signing new leases. We're at Mikasina and my con, we're trying to play offense right now and chase some locations that we wanted to be in. The problem is, if I we spend three hundred dollars a foot in TI, so we call it a million and a half dollars to open a location. It's like, do we really want to take the risk? And someone had said it earlier about the, the people that sell land are the last ones to get the joke about what's going on as far as reducing prices. Well, in this case, there's several deals we're looking at where the landlords are still holding the 50 to $60 rents plus 20 to $25 cam charges. That just didn't work anymore, especially if you're going to commit to spending a million and a half dollars and then having to take a corporate guarantee for 10 years. And if another pandemic comes, so so you're going to see leases all get redone, the legal side, to address things like business interruption like this in the future. And it's this financial risk. I think you're going to have someone had asked earlier about the independent guy. The way things used to work is the guy would want to go start a restaurant and go around and raise money from a bunch of his buddies and go start it. The, the, the problem is right now is no one wants to take that risk and with the TI dollars that go into these things. So. I think you're going to see an incredible slamming on the brakes on the independent starting up. And then in the next 30 to 60 days, I mean, stuff's already starting to crawl out. Um, publicly announced ones are like, uh, I've probably seen 15 to 20 restaurants in the last three days if publicly announced they're not going to reopen. So anyway, it's, it's going to get very bloody in our business, and it's really going to start showing up in July and August. September, uh, the guys that, you know, it's the haves and have nots to, to get through it. So anyway, 
That's my doom and gloom on the restaurant business. But Ray, if we're going to have all this restaurant space sitting around, isn't there mm -hmm. going to be a chef somewhere working for somebody else that's going to be able to jump into an existing space? And oh. I mean, don't you think a yeah, lot yeah. of that will happen? Yeah. Well, okay. So let's play that through. That's second generation space. Okay. Now you got to go back to your lender and say, I got this chef here who's got these backers, but they're not willing to take the risk on a lease guarantee. And so you're like, well, I'm not going to give him any TI, so he's got to go raise it to his buddies, right. which his friends are going to say, why am I taking that if another pandemic hits, you get slammed down. So I, the Greenfield space, if you're going to build a new center and you say, I'm going to put a restaurant into this, and I'm going to go to my lender and say there's one there, I, if I'm sitting on a bank loan committee, I wouldn't give that any credit at all. Right. Right. But, but as far as second generation space, sure. But as a landlord... These guys are going to come to you and just say, we're not going to guarantee, we might give you a six-month guarantee, and that's it. And, but we want you to give us 100 bucks a foot in rehab space. Are you going to want to do that? Yeah, no. You're right. Okay, well, we're at 9.29. One of my favorite things to do is end meetings early. So uh, if nobody has any other questions, I'll let everybody else go. Thanks, everybody. Thank, Thank you, you for, your, for your help. I appreciate well, it. Thanks, Great call. Great to see thanks. you all. Thanks, guys. That's it for today. I'd like to thank all the executives who shared their insights with us. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting service to receive the latest episodes and to follow Trek on social media and YouTube. We'll link to all of our profiles in the show notes so you don't miss any of our content. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.